0: Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Easy Cater, committed to helping companies solve food. From employee meal plans to on-site staffing to concierge ordering support. With corporate accounts, nationwide restaurant coverage, and payment by invoice. EasyCater.com.
1: You're listening to Shortwave from NPR. Hey, everybody. Maddie Safaya here with Shortwave reporter Emily Kwong. Hey, Kwong. Hey, Maddie. So a couple of months ago, we got an email from scientist Esther Adekunle in London, who, from the time she was a kid, was fascinated by snails.
2: So I tended to just try and find them in my playground in school and just observe them, observe how they moved and... Um, I was super fascinated with like the slime that they left behind when they were moving. So that was kind
1: of, I mean, observing small and slimy things sounds like classic scientist behavior to me, Kwong. Absolutely. It's weird because I, so I felt like I belonged
2: in science pretty early on, actually as a kid. But when I realized um, the lack of, diverse representation in science. As I was progressing um, in education, I actually became less confident that I belonged in science.
3: In part because science has been dominated by white men. And as a black woman, Esther saw few people who looked like her in her textbooks. Mm. You have Francis Crick and James Watson, who are credited with discerning the structure of DNA. You have Carl Linnaeus, the father of modern taxonomy. And this is how science is traditionally taught, right? You could call this the great men of science approach to education.
1: Yeah. I mean, you kind of just memorized what these scientists did, but not so much who they were or what they
3: believed. Exactly. And in college, she started digging into the personal histories of these scientists and was really disturbed by what she found. Carl Linnaeus classified organisms, but he also classified people by skin color in really racist ways. And Watson and Crick, they've espoused racist and eugenicist views. And reading all of this, it was such a betrayal to her. Your heart just
2: drops completely. And it's just that realization that someone that you looked up to their brilliance would have thought that you were essentially, you know, not, not really valuable as a human being.
3: Mm. Esther did become a scientist. She makes antibodies now and wrote to us with this really powerful question. She asked, what do you do with the racist parts of science history when you're teaching science? Yeah, the subject line was, does genius absolve racism? And there's some science teachers out there who would say No. We are going to teach science and its full history. And we will be talking to some of those teachers today.
1: So today on the show, rethinking science education. If you're a science teacher or a science student, or if you ever just took a science class, this one's for you.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Samsung Galaxy. Break down language barriers with Live Translate on the all-new Galaxy S24 Ultra. Powered by Galaxy AI, Live Translate gives you real-time translations on calls so you can speak freely with someone in another language. Translate calls just like that with Live Translate on the new Galaxy S24 Ultra. Samsung account login required. Must make calls using Samsung phone app. Live Translate must be enabled and languages preset.
2: At this year's Oscars, Oppenheimer took home the award for Best Picture, Emma Stone and Robert Downey Jr. also picked up wins, and Ryan Gosling brought the Kennergy. For a recap of all the highlights, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR.
1: The NPR app cuts through the noise, bringing you local, national, and global coverage. No paywalls, no profits, no nonsense. Download it in your app store today. All right. Today on the show, we're unspooling what's not working in science education around representation and racism and how to teach science in a more inclusive way. An idea from listener and scientist Esther Adekunle.
3: Yes. So thanks to Esther, we went looking for K through 12 teachers teaching at the intersection of science and racial justice at all grade levels. And I want to start with Letamisia Fears, She's a postdoctoral fellow in the Collaborative for STEM Education and Outreach at Vanderbilt. Okay. She's a black scientist helping out in science classrooms in Tennessee. And among fifth graders at this one particular school, she is a total rock star. She'll walk into a classroom and they'll be like, Miss
1: Sears is here, Dr. Sears! Ah.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's me. It's me, everyone. you know, No autographs today.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we lit up each other's world, I will say that.
3: Letamecia drops into 5th, 7th, and 8th grade science classrooms like a real-life Miss Frizzle. Okay, I'm not (laughs) kidding you. She wheels this cart between classes, clattering with beakers and different very interesting-looking chemicals. And Mm -hmm. students, they're so intrigued, they run up to her and are like, Are you coming to my class? Where are you going? You know, just all that stuff. And then when she's in the classroom... Letamisia doesn't just help them run experiments. She'll also delve into the ethics of designing an experiment. Okay. She'll talk about how wrong the Tuskegee study was, Mm -hmm. which is when scientists studied syphilis in black men and withheld treatment. So she's like introducing bioethics to kids as an important part of the curriculum. Yep. Scientists are presented as very human, herself included. And her students can totally handle these conversations.
2: We see what's happening with this generation, with them protesting. They're speaking out and they're not having it. They're not, they're not uh, going to allow us to continue to destroy the earth.
3: And her point is that if science teachers can tap into that compassion and that curiosity and show the way that scientists have messed up, kids might take up an interest in science. I love it. And if we can't
2: do that, then we are going to lose them. And I think it's hard for minority kids. They already don't see themselves. As the teacher or the person that's doing the science, so that already kind of puts up a block of well, that's just what the old white man
3: with the crazy hair do. <laughs> and so another thing Letemisia does is name drop scientists of color as often as possible. She'll talk about astrophysicist Jedida Eisler, medical physicist Hadia Nicole Green, astronauts Joseph Acaba and Jeanette Epps. She designed a paper rocket lesson around them, and this helps kids develop a mental picture of a career in STEM beyond a doctor or a dentist.
1: This is so cool because it's not just about teaching science history, right? It's also helping right. students see themselves as scientists.
3: And for Gretchen Craig-Turner, um, the next teacher I want to introduce you to, okay. this level of engagement becomes even more important as students get older, and start to, you know, get into their teenage years and develop their own opinions. Their own opinions about science? Yeah, you know, to be critical of it. Oh yeah, that
1: was not in my K through 12 science education.
4: Hers either. I don't remember a lot of writing or um, opinions being a part of science. In fact, it was very much, uh, I believe, taught that opinions didn't belong in science, right? That it was supposed to be a right answer.
3: Gretchen teaches at Burlington Edison High School in Washington State. She is white. She wanted her classroom to be as inclusive as possible and to reflect the diversity of the student body. And in her first year of teaching a biotech class, this was back in 2010, an English teacher gave her a copy of the book, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, and was like, you should teach this oh, to your students. Yeah. So the, the history of
1: the Gila cell line. Yep. So Henrietta Lacks cancer cells were used for years by scientists without her family's knowledge, mm-hmm. cells that generated one of the most important cell lines in medical research, Her case raises so many questions about patients' rights.
3: Yeah, questions raised in this book. So Gretchen got a bunch of hardcover books for her class.
4: And we read it. And it shaped how I teach in just tremendous ways because the students responded to it uh, so strongly. You know, they were excited. Um, Maybe not at first. You know, I still get a lot of, Turner, this isn't an English class, right? But, But they got into it. So
3: into it. It is a six week unit. It's a book in a science class. Mm-hmm. Um, students do cell labs while they're reading and they journal too. OK, so they're jotting down notes on different themes like medical apartheid, informed consent, lab science. And at the end, they write a big paper.
4: And also oftentimes in class, there will be students who, whose own families have experienced medical apartheid and the effects of that. And I think some of the students can see themselves in the story of the Lax
3: family. The conversations become really personal and probing, not, you know, necessarily what you'd expect in a science class. But exactly what Gretchen is hoping for. Well, I think what, you know, many young people
4: ultimately want from their teachers is to be seen and to be heard. And so if the science curriculum uh if they feel seen and heard through that
3: curriculum, they're more invested. So when her students learn about genetic testing, Gretchen includes a film about the Innocence Project. Mm. They're a group that uses DNA testing to exonerate those who've been wrongfully imprisoned. And Gretchen has her students write poetry and songs as kind of odes to those wrongfully convicted. My blood, my skin, my hair, all held the key to my freedom, DNA. My eyes glazed over, desperate for relief, with a pain I now understood. My hand reaches for his. You know,
4: I don't know how often you're around teenagers, um, but they, teenagers have this just tremendous sense of justice and what is right, you know? And so those conversations are often very passionate for students, um, but it's also the world that they live in.
1: Wow. I mean, Kwong, there's so many things in here that are so powerful. And and I know there's a lot of science teachers who listen to shortwave, who might want to incorporate racial justice and history into their teaching, too. I mean, where do they look?
3: Well, Gretchen and Letamisia had the same advice, which is that teachers should fill in the gaps in their own racial understanding first. Learn about the history of science or their field. And that's exactly what the last teacher I spoke with is doing. Viji Sati is a college professor at University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and looking critically at her own field, statistics, has been hard, painful work.
4: You know, honestly, I just feel like I'm—I missed something that was really important to learn about my discipline, and I'm—I'm I'm a little bit mad at myself for not
3: being curious on my own to figure out the origins of things. And she has been startled to realize the full extent to which modern statistics draws upon the work of eugenesis, Like Francis Galton, Carl Pearson, Ronald Fisher, some of the most foundational tools in STEM, like the normal distribution curve, were applied to support their racist and eugenicist theories, tools that we use today. But we don't really stop to think about the people who created them and why they created them. So Vigi is trying to stop to teach herself where these came from, but to not rush the process with some slapdash curriculum. She wants to incorporate these historical elements into her classes with care. I wanna give it
4: the space it deserves in a course and not,
3: not to feel like this awkward add-on um, that people can optionally engage in. In a way that centers the students. Vigie, mm-hmm. like all the teachers I spoke with, designs her classes by asking herself, who is being left behind with this material? and how can I bring them along? That's what can be gained from an inclusive and anti-racist science education. I think all of us in our minds
4: have been in or have heard of a course where the professor says, look to the left, look to the right, one of you won't be here at the end of this time, or you know, something horrible that should not ever be uttered in a classroom. <laughs> I say, look to your left, look to your right. Like, I want you all to stay. I want you all to love my field as much as I love my field, because there's so many interesting things you could do with it. And we really could use your wonderful mind in our discipline. We could use your perspective and, and the things that you bring. So basically, to change science, we have
1: to change how we teach science.
3: Yeah. To fix the lab, gotta fix the classroom. Special thanks to Yowe Shaw for contributing reporting to this episode and to Esther Adekunle for pitching this idea. This episode was produced by Rebecca Ramirez, fact-checked by Ariella Zabidi, and edited by Vietlay. We're back tomorrow with more Shortwave from
1: NPR. There are these networks of staunchly pro-gun groups on Facebook. One of them is run by these three brothers, the Door brothers. But it turns out they don't just do guns. The Door family name has been attached to
3: other causes. Their goal is to eliminate public education and to replace it with Christian schooling.
1: The roots of the Door family on the No Compromise podcast from
3: NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor ShipBob. Brands partner with ShipBob to scale from zero to a multi-million dollar company. Need global fulfillment centers and real-time inventory data? Get a free quote at shipbob.com. Ship Bob.
2: Do you want in on a secret? Like why your favorite pop star is so popular? Or why a makeup fad is suddenly sweeping your feed? It's that none of these things happen by accident. On the It's Been a Minute podcast, I don't just tell you what's trending. I dig deeper to find out why. Join me, Brittany Luce, on It's Been a Minute from NPR.